2020 has been a crazy year in and of itself uh, with the COVID pandemic, with economic downfall, with all kinds of racial tension going on, with wildfires everywhere you turn. Any one of these things could cause anxiety, stress, tension. And then there's just the normal stuff of life that each of us has going on that hasn't stopped because of 2020. But one of those things being politics in particular, uh, just the political divide we see in our nation in the U.S. where we are, mm. can, I believe, cause a lot of anxiety. Um, what happens is there's division and we start seeing other people in light of their political ideologies. And so then we, we lose that sense of relationship. And as relationship breaks down, isolation starts breeding all kinds of issues mentally, emotionally, and socially. Uh, anxiety being one of those high levels of stress. In isolation, depression can breed even more. Uh, and then there's a sense of a lack of hope because we are placing our hope in something that is destined to fail us. Uh, and we're waiting for that to just the right party, the right uh, candidate to get into power. And when that fails us, or when it doesn't happen in our timing, or when it doesn't seem to do the things we thought it was going to do, mm. what are we left with? So I think we're, that's one of the many reasons we're seeing a continued rise in mental health issues. Let's start the show. Welcome to For the Sake of Phoenix, a podcast by Missio Day Communities, where we discuss how a community of God's people can learn to grow in God's ways for the sake of our city. I'm Chris Preby. I'm one of the hosts and one of the pastors of Missio Day Phoenix. We believe the Bible tells one unified story, and it's the true story of the whole world, a story that moves from creation to restoration, where Jesus is the hero and the church is invited to join in his redemptive work. Before I go any further, let me introduce you to my friend, co-pastor, and co-host of the show, Anthony Suarez. You can be known by the creator of the universe and deeply loved. And we as the church are to be an expression of that. We are to be the mediator, the ambassador, the expression of God loving his people. This is our last episode, episode six of season two. We didn't necessarily plan a season two when we started this. Um, said what we thought we wanted to say in the first six episodes and then felt like we needed to come back and talk specifically about mental health during this season of life. And so here are six episodes on that. So we're going to take a break after this episode and we'll likely come back soon to start a season three. We are still nailing down what that will be about. Um, but today, as we wrap up this conversation on mental health, although that conversation on mental health is never fully wrapped up, <laughs> it's ongoing. Um, but as we wrap it up for this season, we want to focus on how particularly this election season we're going into, the presidential election, uh, might be part of adding to some of those mental health stressors. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I've I've been listening to this podcast um, called This Cultural Moment. It's with John Mark Comer and it's a Mark great Sayers. Podcast. It's a great podcast. And I, and I just got through season one, started season two, 
And this, I, I believe it was recorded even maybe like from the sounds of it, maybe two or three years ago. Mm. Um, but a lot of the things that they talk about, just what's going on in Western cultural uh, in general as a whole, um, a lot of the things that they talk about, like we see this coming, has come to full fruition and is rearing its ugly head in this election cycle, mm. right? Um, but I, I, one of the ones I just uh, listened to t- talks about um, just anxiety and uh, the rise of secularism in our culture um, and what it's done to um, our the Western culture as a whole, right? Secularism and globalization. So they talk about how uh, Leslie Newbegin, who was a, a missionary to India, uh, wrote a book um, on secularism and, and basically um, kind of, uh, in a way, kind of predicted where our culture was headed yeah. as, as Western culture as a whole and, and kind of linked secularism and globalization together. So with the rise of secular and if a secular secularization of our culture has basically we have no meaning in our culture. Like secularism has mm. brought about any sense of meaning. Yeah. Like personal, uh, everything's relative, nothing's true. Um, you can be whoever you want to be. Um, you are whoever you say you are mm. or what your beliefs are, right? So there's there's no general sense of meaning or purpose in culture anymore. And what that has led to, especially in a globalized world where everybody's connected, mm-hmm. right? And we see and hear things in real time, what's happening across the world, um, has bred this sense of anxiety. Yeah. Because we don't know who we are. Uh, we lack a sense of, we lack a, an overarching, a grand narrative story mm. as, as a whole, as a culture, telling us this is who you are. This is what, you've cre- what you're created for. Uh, you are created. Right. Right. Um, Start there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but in that creation, there's purpose. Mm-hmm. Right. And so with the annihilation or or getting rid of any sense of meaning when things hit the fan mm-hmm. there's no hope right there's nothing like oh well at least i know i was created with a purpose and for a purpose right and so um with everything going on you can log into social media and uh at you know one slide you can see a friend's just had a baby and you're like, oh, this is amazing. And the next slide you see riots and protests mm-hmm. and, um, you know, tweets and, you know, from government officials and, and things are just going crazy. So, mm-hmm. um, and I, th- I think that's, I mean, I think they recorded this like, even a couple of years ago, but I think it's so relevant for yeah. the time. Yeah. Totally. And one of the things that they talked about in there too, um, is that the progression of secularism, right? The the fourth kind of stage of uh, secularism in a culture is moving back to um, political religion. Mm. So now our politics have become our religion. Yeah, you know. Yeah, because we're designed to like we're, we're designed to be formed by story. I believe. Yeah. Uh, to have this bigger purpose and story and meaning. 
in our life to be a part of. And so when you strip all that away, we'll latch on to any story that's given yeah. to us. And when our, our culture and our politics are feeding us, here's two stories, choose one, yeah. right? <laughs> it's left or right. Um, we, we latch onto one and that, yeah, becomes our new um, story, worldview, faith, religion, the thing we base our life on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so our, our idols become our ideologies. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's weird that in the midst of a pandemic, when we were told to isolate, is the same year as an election year with all of this political ideologies. Now, the only source we could really get through that, right? We weren't talking about it in person anymore. Right, right. The only You're things, not sitting down at a table having a conversation with right. someone. Yeah. And reality is most people wouldn't do that. Anyway, True. <laughs> even in the midst of a, you know, even if we weren't in the midst of a pandemic, because we have become so polarized in our mm-hmm. idols, mm-hmm. right? So when we're worship, when the ideologies become our idols, the natural repercussion or consequence of that is like steep division, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. you have I- different people's idols competing against other people's idols, yeah, right? And we see that all throughout Scripture, yeah. but God says no, like. I am the one true living God. Yeah. Like, how can you guys, in Jeremiah, God talks about, um, uh, he says through the prophet Jeremiah, like Israel, no other nation changes their gods and their gods aren't even real. <laughs> you know, like no other nation has turned their back on their gods. Yeah. They keep worshiping the same gods and their gods aren't even true and living and good and merciful and, and the creator of the universe, the one true living God. And yet you who have worshiped me, I have told you who I am. I have called you to be my people to represent me throughout the nations. You're the only one that have really turned your back on the one true living God. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it's when, when our, so he's calling them out, like, stop worshiping these idols. Like you are creating division between me and you, like I've called you for this purpose, but you keep turning your back on me. So when our when our when the idols of the world become so uh, a, a part of our culture, a part of our lives, a part of our when our ideologies become our idols, or our idols are our ideologies, uh, wh- whatever they may be, right? Mm-hmm. Political, educational, um, societal, cultural, judicial, whatever. God will be faithful to expose them. Mm, yeah. Um, because he loves us too much to, to allow us to continue to, to continue to worship them. Now we yeah. have a choice to turn our back right. and say, no, I'm going to. When it's exposed, do we yeah, turn a blind eye to it or, or just fully embrace it yeah. and go, but this is, this is what I choose to live in? Yeah. Or do we choose to repent? It's, so interestingly, like as you're talking about Israel, you know, this is not something that's unique to America 2020. Right. Right. Like the, there was a, the downfall of Israel was either 
turning and worshiping other gods or, you know, your own way of living and wanting your own human king and like becoming in, in the days of the judges, everyone did was right in their own eyes, becoming a godless nation who was supposed to be the ones showing the rest of the world what God is like. Or on the other hand, uh, the danger of Israel was becoming uh, nationalists, you know, yeah. prideful, arrogant, boastful that, hey, we are God's chosen people. He loves us best. And right. instead of being a light to the nations and inviting the other nations in, shunning them and expecting that God would destroy them, right? Yeah. And I think those two extremes we see today yeah. in, in America, mm-hmm. right? Like we're not Israel, but the same, we're, we're humans just right. like them. And those same... Um, ideologies and idolatries are captivating our hearts as well. Mm-hmm. And so you could name those as, as extreme examples of, of left and right in our U S politics, mm-hmm. right? Nationalist pride and uh, just do whatever seems right. and makes sense to you and our scientific reason or humanistic reason mm-hmm. on the left. And so, um, it, it, but you see all throughout scripture, you know, this was most of the letters written to the early church in the new Testament was how do you live in light of the political, the geopolitical regime that's in power mm-hmm. where you are. Mm-hmm. And how do you live faithfully? Uh, and also, uh, you know, as going back to Jeremiah, which you mentioned, seeking the welfare of the city. Yeah. Like it's, we're not saying don't be patriotic, don't be invested in politics, right. don't care about what's happening. Uh, we're, not, we're not saying that at all. Vote, like be involved. But what does it look like to seek the welfare of, of your city? And at the same time, recognize that all of your hope is in the God of that city, mm-hmm. not in the politics of that city and not in the politician of that mm-hmm. city who's in power at the time. Yeah. What does that look like to try to start to live faithfully as followers of Jesus during a politically divided, heated you know, presidential election right now? And then... Does that do anything for our mental health? You know, yeah. <laughs> Does that make a difference? Will it change anything at all? I don't know about you, but every every election year, presidential election year, since I've been able to vote, I've heard I've had someone tell me this is the most important election yeah. of our lifetime. <laughs> it's like every single time I hear that, and I'm like, well, I thought last one was the most important. I guess it just keeps getting more and more important, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, it's like. Does this really have that much cultural significance and eternal significance where my whole entire life should be wrapped up around what's happening with this particular election? Yeah. Because I think that's where it starts to get into our our mental health. Yeah. And I would say cultural significance, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because as we've seen... With the current president, even the even the previous president, cultures start to get more and more divided. Mm. And I don't know if I would necessarily attribute it specifically to the person, a president, but I would say the more and more that I think because we get everything in real time now, where we can see a tweet. You know, like it was like even even 20 years ago, right? We'd have to read about it in the newspaper. Right. Or uh, see it on the news. Right. Right. But now we get firsthand dialogue. Well, not really dialogue, but firsthand tweets from the president of the United States. Right. Right. right? All the time. All the time. But 
on the whole, for us though, as followers of Jesus, I would say it's it's not of the utmost significance because this is not where we place our hope. Mm. I have a, I want to read some tweets. Um, this is from this guy named Sky Jatani. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but like, because I've read him. I've never heard it, his name said out loud. <laughs> Sky Jatani. He's a pastor somewhere. Probably a lot more people know of him than they know of us as pastors. Um, but if you follow him on Twitter, you might have read this. He's he sent a series of 12 tweets, you know, where they number them. It's like, oh, yeah. this is a, a thread. So yeah, this is a thread of his tweets. And I want to share this in light of the idea that sometimes, uh, especially in the world of politics, but really just in ideologies and idolatries, things are, are blown out of proportion and made to seem more important than they are. I mean, that's the, a definition of an idol, right? Is a, even a good thing right. uh, that becomes an ultimate thing. Mm. It, it takes the place and position in your heart of where God should be. Right. And so politics are, are great at that, mm-hmm. you know, making an issue bigger than it really is. Now, I say that, and before I get all these emails later and uh, <laughs> and phone calls and things, um, I, I want to be very clear: the issue that this particular threat is about is a big deal. Mm. It, it's a huge deal. It's it's on abortion, but um, the idea of what politics can do for abortion, I think, might be skewed. Mm. And so, listen to this with an open mind. He said, "Your vote for president will neither save nor sacrifice the lives of unborn babies." In all caps. Now that I have your attention, let's look at the facts. For 50 years, Christians have been told that the Supreme Court is the key to ending abortion and that overturning Roe versus Wade is a holy cause. The logic looks something like this. My vote leads to the president, leads to justices, leads to the SCOTUS, leads to overturn Roe, which leads to save babies. This argument has been used by both parties to motivate their voters in every election since 1980, and for many Christians, this single issue trumps all others. Many forget that Roe v. Wade in 1973 did not legalize abortion. Before Roe, scholars say 20 to 25% of all pregnancies were aborted. Today, it's 18%. Mm. Before 1821, abortion was legal everywhere in the U.S. And in 1972, before Roe, it was legal in 20 states. Reversing Roe would simply revert the country back to the 1972 system of a state-by-state patchwork of laws. It's not the silver bullet solution many Christians think it is. But here's the really crazy part. The abortion rate today is lower Mm -hmm. than before Roe was decided. According to Guttmacher Institute, in 1973, the rate was 16.3 per 1,000 women. In 2017, it was 13.5. Returning to a pre-Roe America would mean increasing the abortion rate. I don't know if that's true. Um, That last statement he said, that's a, I think you might be reading into that, but. I think his point that like it's not going to bring it down mm. uh, is valid. And scholars say overturning Roe would likely have no impact on the number of abortions in the U.S. So why does this one case get so much attention? Because it's an easy way for both parties to frighten both pro-choice and pro-life voters in the voting booth. Now, here's what's interesting. This is what caught my attention. Since 73, Republican presidents have appointed 11 justices. Democratic presidents have appointed only four. In that time, SCOTUS has only upheld abortion and not restricted it. And only one justice, Thomas, has gone on the record opposing Roe. 
So this has been this was a discussion I had the other day that like we need to vote Republican so that especially now that uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is off, like we got to get a Republican in there, yeah, make sure that we can really tilt the scales on abortion. But eleven versus four, mm. Republicans have put more justices on the Supreme Court since 1973 mm. and it hasn't pushed that needle at all do politics really address the issue of abortion uh and so uh, there's a lot more on this he, he continues to go on with some really good points but the the point is and this was what our conversation led to the other day bethany and i were having uh was wouldn't it make more sense that the church being the church being a healthy, thriving, vibrant, loving community who cared for one another's burdens and inviting others into that could actually do more to save babies' lives, Mm -hmm. uh, to fight against abortion, than voting a particular party into office. Mm -hmm. Because now people are entering into a community who will care for them, who will love them, who will carry their burdens, who will... Uh, help them look out for their child. And maybe, you know, stats have shown, maybe this young single mom about to have a kid and scared to death might be more willing to bring a child into the world when she knows she has a community to help her. Yes, but I think what we have seen is that the church has married itself to the political ideologies Mm -hmm. of our culture. church marries itself to the culture the culture then dictates what the church how the church will go mm-hmm. in order to be the church we'd have to divorce the political and cultural ideologies that have infiltrated the church and turn back to our true so hold on whoa you're saying that republicanism cannot be synonymous with my christian faith anymore no or or being a Democrat cannot be synonymous with following Jesus either. No, and I, and I think, again, when you take a step back and you and you look at this, right? We have seen the demise of everything we as we have tried to put our hope in, right? So, um, politics. Um, we have never been. Well, I shouldn't say we've never been. I've only lived forty years, so I haven't. Mm-hmm. I don't know what politics was like before that. But it seems like in our day, um, we are more divided, radically divided, I should say, right? Now we have uh, the radical right and the radical left have more voice and influence now than they have in the past, right? Um, We have seen the demise of putting our hope in government. Government will save us as long as we elect the right officials as long as we put the right president or the right uh, Supreme Court or, you know, just what you're talking about, as long as we have the right party in place, we'll be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the church will be fine. Uh, we'll continue to be a Christian nation. Uh, whatever, whatever we use, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're starting to see that is not true. 
right? Government is not going to save us. It's yeah. not a, it's not a good place for humanity to put their hope in. Um, entertainment. We've seen the demise of, you know, with the Me Too movement, um, putting our hopes in entertainers or entertainment or men or, you know, like just powerful men or I I shouldn't say putting our hope in that, but putting our hope in um, wealth and power Mm. and influence. um, We see what it does to people, right? It it corrupts. It's it's corrosive. Um, In education, Mm. um, in um, judicial things in sports in uh, uh, um, and, and even in some ways church right we've mm. seen church leaders um, also fall into just sin yeah you know like we have seen with the rise of secularism we have seen sin God has been faithful to expose sin in all of those different areas where we as humanity try to put our hope in this will save us. Mm. Technology, science, consumerism, um, all of these different things. If we get this right, science will save us, right? As long as we figure this out, uh, we can get a vaccine, we'll be saved, right? Um, Technology, right? As long as the whole world can be connected, Mm -hmm. um, It'll mean the death of consumerism, right? It'll mean the death of the very rich and the very poor. Uh, And so with all of these different things, again, we've seen all of these different stories that our culture tells us, this is where you need to put your hope. Mm -hmm. If we do this, humanity will be good. We'll reach utopia, right? Even, Even if we all work together, which sounds like a noble like it's good. Like that's a picture of the kingdom. One day as well, work together. But if that's if that part in particular is your hope, that's no different from the the days of the Tower of Babel, right. <laughs> all working together right. to build this monument to how great they were, as opposed to how great God is. Yeah, the narrative in all of those stories is uh, is humanity working to save humanity, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And we know. That the true story, is, that's not how it works. Yeah. Like we in and of ourselves cannot save ourselves. Right. We as, even if you don't believe we're created beings, like how do you think, it, you can't honestly take a look at our current culture and climate and say, yeah, humanity will be able to save itself. Right. Or just the course of history. Right. At, at what point ever <laughs> yeah. was humanity able to do that? It's only gotten, in many cases... A lot worse. Yeah. And so when we take a step back, that creates a lot of anxiety. Like, what do we put our hope in now? We've seen all of these different things, all of these different narratives that culture tells us, put your hope in this. And when God is faithful to expose those for the narratives that they are Mm. as false and lies and not true, then yeah, there's this sense of fear of like, oh no, you know, like, what what do I have to believe in? Yeah. Like, what do I put my hope in? At the end of the day, when I lay my head on the pillow, if if I don't believe that there is a good God who's working all of history towards full restoration, then, then yeah, that creates a lot of anxiety yeah. and fear and depression and restlessness yeah. and all of those different things. And so 
I, I feel like in some sense to live as the church and to be a peaceful presence in the midst of the chaos, we have to start, one, recognizing the idols in our own life and the narrative, the false narratives we've believed mm-hmm. or are believing. And then two, repent of those. Yeah. Uh, turn back to uh, the only person that can save us in mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, is the church's first love. Yeah. Right. Um, and then three, or what is that? Four? <laughs> Four? I'll <laughs> <laughs> have to go back and listen and count it. <laughs> Um, and then for start, just live out the truth of the gospel story. Yeah. Yeah. So if we, all right, if we're living out the true biblical story from creation to restoration, uh, if that's the story we as followers of Jesus are invited into, that's the story we believe is a true story of the whole world and not just the story of our political party that we're affiliated with, uh, then let's remember some of that story, right? Let's, mm-hmm. let's go back to Israel, as you were mentioning earlier, and remember that God saved them. He delivered them out of slavery in Egypt, powerfully displayed his rule and authority over all things by the way that he defeated their enemies, brought them safely across the sea and and gave them a home and gave them a land and said, I will be your God. You will be my people. Right. And what does Israel start doing? They start begging and asking and pleading for a human King so that they could be just like all the other nations. So they can share that story the other nations. Mm-hmm. And, and God was like, no, I'm your king. You know, you're a different set apart people. I'm inviting you into a truer, better story. And you're going to be a light to the nation so that they'll see I'm a better king than the king they have. And they'll come and be part of my kingdom as well. Mm-hmm. But Israel continues to beg and plead. No, no, no. Let us have a human king. And so what does God do? God do. He relents and he turns them over to the story they want to be a part of. So he gives them human kings and king after king after king fails. Even the best of them, David fails miserably, right? And none of them can last because they're all humans. And what happens in life is you die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they all die off. And eventually they're left with no kingdom because they continue to turn their backs on God. And then they're taken over by these other nations that they were supposed to be a light to. All of this leading up to and pointing to God going, no, remember, I was supposed to be your true king. And so what happens is he has to remove all of these human kings. It was almost like, fine, you want a human king? Let me show you what that looks like. And then putting one after another before them, showing them how they fail, and then God removing each of them and then coming to be king himself. Mm -hmm. So Jesus shows up the king of kings, right? 
And it looks way different than they expected. It looks way different than they wanted their human kings to look like. Mm-hmm. But Jesus needed to be shown as this is the true king that we follow. This is the kingdom that we desire to live in. And one day he will come back and he will bring full restoration to all the world. And, and we will dwell in his kingdom if we follow him as our king, right? We'll live eternally with him, feasting at his table. It's going to be awesome. But what are we doing in the meantime? We, we keep asking for human kings, mm-hmm. right? We keep looking to our human kingdom. We want America to be great again mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or to rise and to succeed and to flourish. Uh, and the reality is like, no, America has to fall mm-hmm. for the true kingdom to take place. The, the political parties and the politicians and the candidates that we want to see in place and established in authority and in a position of power so that they'll do the things we want them to do. They too will all fail us and have <laughs> greatly and will continue to, and will have to go away in order for the true King to come. And so, Right now, how does the church live in light of that true story and go, we know right now, like as a nation, our, our culture is crying out for these human kings, so to speak. But how do we remind ourselves Jesus is the true king? Not Trump, not Biden, mm-hmm. not, you know, any, any other else or any other ideology. Jesus is the king. And we're going to live in a way where, yes, we're, we're socially responsible. We're civically engaged mm-hmm. because we're seeking the welfare of our city mm-hmm. because we want to give a preview to America of what the kingdom of God will look like fully one day. And I think if that is our hope, if that's what we're longing for, looking to live in, we're going to have a lot of frustrations along the way because <laughs> mm-hmm. things aren't, aren't fully the way they're supposed to be yet. But we'll have uh, a sense of peace and hope that will get us through the anxious times of, oh no, what happens if this party gets into power, right? What happens if this justice gets on the Supreme Court? What happens if this person becomes our president? Uh, and there's so much, I just in conversations with, with believers of Jesus, people who believe Jesus mm-hmm. is king, there's so much anxiety and so much fear. I hear so often from family members even, like, I'm just so afraid for what your kids are going to grow up in if this political party gets into power. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. Because I know who the real king is. Yeah. You know? This might be a little controversial. I don't know, but let's go other, for it, man. We're in it. Let's do it. <laughs> the other day, the other day. So, with my kids doing uh, school from home now, uh, I'm I'm usually there in the mornings when they first log in and when they're getting all set and they do their kids have their morning announcements and they say the pledge of allegiance and do all of their. They have actually like two or three different pledges. They say I think like a scholarly pledge and yeah. a pledge of allegiance and. They were doing the Pledge of Allegiance all, all together over the Zoom call. And, you know, they were doing it, a Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. 
and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, mm. with liberty and justice for all. Wow. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I was like, hang on, hang on. They left out under God. So I was like, ah, maybe it was a slip. Yeah. So the next day I listened, same thing. Pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty. I was like, oh, uh-uh. <laughs> you know, I started getting angry. I'm like, how are you going to take out under God of the Pledge of Allegiance? Yeah. But then it was almost like the Holy Spirit was like, hey, you're not pledging your allegiance to the flag anyway. Yeah. That's not where I've called you to pledge your allegiance. That's right. Somebody sent an email and they say it now. But, <laughs> um, but it led to some good dinner conversation because mm-hmm. it was, boys, every morning you say this pledge. Do you, do you understand what you are pledging your allegiance to? Yeah. yeah. Who should we... Or what kingdom should we be pledging our allegiance to? Right. You know? They gave the good Sunday school answer, Jesus. <laughs> and, but yes. Yeah. Yes. There is a better uh, good kingdom mm-hmm. that we are called to be a, pledge our allegiance to. Yeah. Right? And so over dinner, we kind of talked about what does it mean to be to, uh, for your life to be pledged in allegiance to anything right mm-hmm. so anything that our life revolves around that's where our allegiance lies yeah that's where our life revolves around this is what we will fight for this is what we will die for yeah and so again as we see in culture right now our allegiance is our nation yeah right dude that's just such a great picture of what happens when you take faith when you take the creator of all things and you try to fold him under another story. Uh, so you're pledging your allegiance to a nation and to a flag. And then we'll put, we'll add God into that story, yeah. right? And so when you add God into that story, that just shows how easy it is to remove God from that story mm-hmm. later. And then everybody gets up in arms that you're removing God from that story. Well, guess what? He was never meant to be crammed into that little story in the first place. Yeah. Instead... Like if we're pledging our allegiance to him, right? And we're seeing he's the big story. And then, yeah, like this this decade, this day and time that we're living in, in this particular place, the nation that here exists right now is part of that. Mm-hmm. Like that, it's flipped, right? You bring like America into God's story. You don't get to bring God into America's story. Right. Uh, and it's, I always use this example, but it's like trying to fit the thesaurus into Dr. Seuss's green eggs and ham. Like you can't, the bindings can't hold it. It doesn't fit into that little story. Right. Or this is the source isn't a story, but you know, a, yeah. a big book, pride and prejudice. Let's say yeah. you can't fit that into the, the bindings of that smaller story. Like it's got to go the other way around. Mm-hmm. When, when we fit Jesus into the di- different narratives or when we try to, um, then we have religionized, our ideologies. And then those become our allegiance. That's what we're pledging our allegiance mm-hmm. to. Because in our minds, we think this is where God is. Yeah. This is what God's behind. Right? Now, the heart of Jesus, the heart of God, can be seen in some of those. So I don't I don't want to take God completely out of that. But what the enemy wants to do is politicize and religionize all of our ideologies and our idols mm-hmm. so that they look like they could be from God. Right. 
because then we will pledge our allegiance and live and die for those ideologies. Right. Not for Jesus and his kingdom, but for the ideologies. Mm -hmm. And so then we become divisive. We become angry. We become fearful. We become anxious. We become depressed. We become um, uh, warriors Mm -hmm. for our ideologies because we think this is where God is. This is where Jesus is. This is the heart of God instead of the kingdom. Dude, that's just so prevalent and evident um, that you see, again, we mentioned people getting fearful of what's going on. And then what happens is I see two things play out. One is when you start getting fearful of another ideology and then you connect people, human beings to that ideology, mm, yep. you have now dehumanized them. Yes. Right? Yeah. So they're no longer a person made in the image of the same creator who made you. Mm. And they're no longer a human being for you to love, to love your neighbor, right? Mm. They're no longer someone for you to sit down at a table with and then have conversation and break bread together. Yeah, we no longer see uh, black people, African-American people in our culture. We see BLM. Right, right. We don't see... And protests and right. riots. We don't, yes, yeah, exactly. We see burnt down buildings, right. shooting cops, um, Antifa, right. right? We don't see... Um, our black neighbor mm. suffering mm. and fearful yeah. um, at a cop driving by in our neighborhood. Right. Right. We don't right. see that. Yeah. Um, we don't see the, the immigrant and the refugee as literally trying to survive, mm. wanting a better life for themselves and their family. Yeah. Uh, we see them wanting to come take our, our social security and our healthcare from us. Right. 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 Um, so we, ha- yes, exactly. Yeah. We have I- lost the humanity mm-hmm. Um, and replaced it with ideology. Yeah. And now they've become an enemy. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. No longer a neighbor to love, but an enemy. And which in the first place, we go back to the story. We remember Jesus called us to love our neighbors. And then we're, we're told even like, who's your neighbor? Well, it's, and he, he gives this story of like people who would have been enemies, right? Mm-hmm. So love your enemy, make them your neighbor. Yeah. And then love your neighbor, make them your family. Like that's, that's what the role of the church is supposed to look like. But instead, like Israel, we go, no, no, no. We expect God to destroy our enemies, mm. not to bring them in, right? Yeah. So that's one thing I see that fear doing is, is we dehumanize other people. We don't value their, them being made in the image of God. Uh, and we just see them as an enemy. So there's no conversation happening, right. which, which breeds more fear, right? And more isolation, and then more anxiety because you don't have true community with people. You're only sitting in an echo chamber hearing people who think and sound exactly like you. Mm-hmm. So there's no actual growth there. That's one uh, way I see that playing out. The other way I see that playing out, what that fear does, is it turns you into, like you said, the warrior. Like mm-hmm. you go out and you are evangelizing your ideology. Mm-hmm. You are evangelizing your political platform and your party, Right. And it's crazy because I've I've seen so many people in the church who would say like, yeah, I just don't share the gospel or evangelize about Jesus because I don't know it well enough, mm-hmm. or because I'm afraid of like turning people off and it and it getting awkward, right? I don't want to offend anyone. Yeah. Those two examples, but those a lot of those same people had no problem figuring out all these conspiracy theories and Mm -hmm. whether masks are effective or who George Soros is like super quick. They learned that Mm -hmm. like they can get all those facts and details. They can, they can shoot out facts uh, as I was just reading like about abortion or 
you know, about protests and all that, like they can learn that Mm -hmm. and they have no problem offending people with those facts. Yep. So you will evangelize the thing that captures your heart. And again, that's where Mm -hmm. that ideology becomes an idolatry because you've placed this as the ultimate thing that you have put your hope in. And now I have conversations with people who are following or who profess Jesus, but I only ever hear Trump come out of their mouth, not Jesus. Yeah. Right. I only ever hear them trying to convince me to vote either Trump or Biden. And I don't hear this is how good Jesus is mm-hmm. in my life. Yeah. So you get, you get that fear is driving these two different responses. One, to push away anybody who's different from you. And two, to evangelize people to come to your ide- ideology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and where, on the other hand, when we are living in the true story and we're putting our hope in Jesus and that his perfect love casts out fear, I don't live in fear mm-hmm. of what's, who's going to get voted into office because Jesus is king. Mm-hmm. Then what that does is that allows me to now sit at the table with people I would otherwise see as my enemies mm-hmm. and to evangelize the true gospel, the true story mm-hmm. with them. Yeah. If we are not taking thoughts captive, using some of the tools that we talked about in this season, the tools that Noel and Crystal talked through with us of being present, capturing those things, like what am I fearful of? What's causing me to be so anxious? How does this line up with scripture? What am I choosing to believe right now? What story am I hearing? Then we live out what we believe. Thank you for joining us on this season. We look forward to possibly doing a season three. If you have any suggestions for us and what you would like uh, that season three to, to be based around, we would uh, love your input. Um, but otherwise, we will be signing off for season two. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll join us for season three.